Y'all recognize the song? Some of you, Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror. By a show of hands, how many additional King of Pop fans in the room this morning? Some strong hands going up, love it. Uh, I, was, I had no choice, I was born into it. Uh, my mother tells me that the first song that I ever danced to uh, was pulling myself up uh, in my crib uh, to Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. And so uh, my first steps uh, were not steps at all, but actually a moonwalk. Okay, so he did this last night. I actually um, am not that good. Uh, and I, in fact, last night, my wife sent him a video of me trying to do it so that I could have it for you this morning, and I, I'm sorry, it's just too miserable. Um, all, I've, all I had and all I've got is just a little bit of thriller uh, that I'll, I'll try to do for you here this morning, and so uh, this is all I've got. It's one way to start a sermon. Uh, in the book of James, in the Bible, uh, that we're also going to look at, God's word says that when we look at God's word, that uh, like Michael Jackson, it should be like looking at our face in a mirror, that as we look at the man in the mirror, as we see reflected uh, in our lives, both looking at ourselves and at the reflection of God's word, we are then going to ask him or her to change his ways. Uh, as it says in James 1, 23 through 24, it says that anyone who listens to the word of God uh, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And so today we're going to look at uh, God's word in the book of James, uh, not just for uh, information, we could say, but for transformation. That we would, as this verse suggests, not merely just listen to and hear the word, that it might just inform us, but that it might also change us. And so we're going to be looking at that verse again, along with uh, several other verses in the context of that uh, this morning in James chapter 1, and we're going to be starting in verse 12. And so we'd invite you to turn there uh, in your Bible, and if uh, you don't have one of your own, um, there's one in the pew rack there that you can certainly use, and if you don't have one at all, definitely take that uh, for yourself as a gift from us to you. And so as you turn there, you might be asking, uh, who is this James anyway? Who is uh, this James who the Holy Spirit wrote this uh, particular book in the Bible to us from? And so uh, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself. And so how's that for uh, sibling pressure? Why can't you be more like your brother? I mean, that would stink. 
And so James, uh, the story goes, if you know it, that his mother, before he was born, was uh, Mary, who was pledged to be married to Joseph. And, and during that engagement, Mary uh, came pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, by a miracle. And then from there, uh, gave birth to Jesus Christ and went on to have what you could say a typical family. Uh, well, I guess you could say as typical as you might expect having the Son of God as a member of it. And so what's cool is that what James teaches us, or what James teaches us, I can't say it, what James will teach us, teach us, is actually uh, what he learned from his big brother, from his big brother, Jesus. And the book that he wrote is considered uh, by many, uh, one of the most, if not the most, practical book when it comes to what it actually looks like uh, to live out a Christian life, to follow Jesus Christ in your life. And that's the title of this series, uh, actually comes from James chapter five, where James says, remember this that we might, through studying God's word in James, remember the ways in which we are called to follow Jesus Christ, quite practically living it out in our lives. And so we're gonna continue to look at the book of James, uh, picking up in chapter one, verse 12, where James tells us this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so in just that short verse, we catch a word, perseverance, that has thus far over the last several weeks been the through line, uh, the, the theme, the, really the constant in what it is we've been looking at through the book of James thus far. As with Pastor Wayne over the last couple of weeks, we looked at how we can seek godly wisdom um, through his word and through prayer, uh, and by then the strength of God's Holy Spirit at work within us can persevere. We can persevere, we learn, through trials and hardships such as loss or health concerns, or relationship struggles, career challenges, uh, etc. But we now turn the page as to how godly perseverance sees us through the trials and the problems that we all face in our life when it comes now to temptation and thus the struggle with sin. We're gonna look at how God can help us persevere through the temptations we face and the struggle with sin. Uh, and just a quick definition of what sin is. Sin is any action or attitude or thought that goes against God and his ways. And so James, uh, when it comes to these trials that we face, says this about facing the trial of temptation and sin in verse 13. He says, when tempted, first off, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth, through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so we see here in these few verses that James is reminding us of the nature of that battle with temptation and sin, this, this battle within each of us between two ways we can go in life, God's way 
or the way of evil. In fact, we've seen this portrayed even in, you know, uh, you could say secular settings uh, with a limited understanding, maybe in uh, media like uh, TV shows or movies when they portray a character who's uh, faced with a decision uh, between good and evil. Sometimes they put on either two shoulder what? Yeah, a little, a little angel and a little devil, each whispering in their separate uh, respective ears um, rationales and reasons why uh, the character should choose one over the other. And so, while again, that's a, a limited understanding of how it works, James gives us a fuller understanding of that battle that takes place in our ears and our hearts and our lives. And that first off, he says again, first off, know this, temptation, when it comes your way, does not ever come from God. Uh, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor tempt anyone. And so temptation comes from the evil one, comes from Satan. Uh, but however, even knowing that, we must be careful not to then uh, place all the blame on that little red devil elf thing on our shoulder either. Uh, for example, um, sadly, I have a friend who, after multiple extramarital affairs, uh, said this. He said, uh, oh, man. The devil got me again. Uh, Kind of this, the devil made me do it, understanding. To which we have to respond based on God's word, no. That is not accurate. That's not accurate because the devil, while, uh, and Satan and evil, while it can tempt us, it can never make you do anything. While Satan can tempt you, he can never make you do anything. And again, verse 14, that you are responsible, I am responsible when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so, um, not the most uplifting of message there. But the good news is, even in the face of that struggle against temptation and sin, the good news is when it comes to that battle that we face in our lives of temptation and sin, that God's word reminds us and encourages us that this battle, it's not a stalemate. It's not uh, an even playing field. It's not gonna end up being a tie uh, or a draw or anything like that between these two natures because uh, frankly, we all hate ties. Like watching the early stages of the World Cup, for some reason, they allow ties. Ridiculous. I mean, could you imagine watching the Super Bowl tonight and they let it end in a tie? How painfully unsatisfying. And so, sorry, that's all I've got. I do, I need to get some Super Bowl in there. And so, there you have it. Um, and so, when it comes to the, to the battle that we face in our lives with sin and temptation, it's not a stalemate between that little devil and that little angel. Uh, because, frankly, a better understanding is not a little angel, but God's Holy Spirit that doesn't rest on our shoulder, but as followers of Christ, actually dwells within us. And thus, when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, according to God's word, we have the advantage. We have, uh, there's a point spread that is in our favor that we can take advantage of when we fight against temptation and sin. And so the rest of our text here is gonna reveal how we can grab hold uh, of that advantage that we have by God and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Verse 17, first, it gives us that assurance again that every good and perfect gift that's gonna come our way in that is gonna come from the Father of heavenly lights, coming from God who does not change like shifting shadows. 
revealing that in light of that, Satan actually does shift and does change uh, to, as it says in 2 Corinthians 11, to, quote, outwit us with his schemes. But in that same verse, it says that Jesus Christ makes us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, aware, makes us aware of Satan and his schemes that we might lead to and be able to receive and live out God's consistent, God's reliable, best for us. Because God does not change like shifting shadows. And so how to do this, the understanding for what this looks like, how we can take advantage of that point spread that's in our favor um, from a God who's consistent, never changing, uh, over temptation and sin, uh, came to me actually um, as a young Christian. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I didn't grow up going to church, came to Christ as a teenager. Uh, but then from there, was hungry to learn whatever I could about what it meant to, to live out this new life of following Jesus. And so one of the things I did is I uh, regularly listened to Christian radio preaching. And um, I remember uh, my favorite was a guy by the name of uh, Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans out of Texas, and his radio program was called The Urban Alternative. And I remember on a Wednesday night, driving into youth group as a teenage kid and having, in all fairness, as teenage kids tend to, my own share of battles with an angel on one side and a devil on the other. And Pastor Tony Evans was talking about this very topic, about this battle that we face against temptation and sin. And he had this to say, and I'll never forget it. He said that when it comes to temptation and sin in your life, the problem, the struggle that you have, the problem is not that the sin is too strong in your life. Meaning, you know, we, we have these temptations, these things maybe we face time and time again, and we, you know, we try to beat it, we try to conquer it, we try to overcome it, and it just keeps bouncing back. We just keep saying, man, we, we can't overcome this. Pastor Tony Evans says and reminds us that it's not that the sin is too strong in your life, but that in your life, God is too little. The problem is not that the sin is too strong, but that God in your life is too little. And so for you, you feel like the sin in your life is too great and recognize because maybe it is because God is too little. How then do we make God greater? How do we increase the role of God in our lives that we might overcome the temptation and sin that we face in our lives? Well, the solution, the answer, is in verse 18, where it says again, through the word of truth. It says, he chose, God chose to give us, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, he has given us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And that word first fruits means uh, God's best. That God has his best for us and it's all right here. It's right here for us, always available to us, uh, always accessible in his word of truth. That God's word of truth is the solution. And so that's what we see. We see that there's a problem, temptation and sin. The solution to temptation and sin is God's word. And then out of that, there is also a result. And that result is a life transformed. Transformation is the result of God's word responding to temptation and sin. And so that's what James is gonna just continue to wash over us and remind us as we close out these last few verses. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, verse 19, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and so we've got the sin problem, and then the solution, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you, which can save you practically from these things. And so, again, the problem is sin, that we're quick to sin, quick to slander, quick to gossip, quick to lie, quick to use the Lord's name in vain when it comes to our tongue. We're quick to blow up in rage and anger, too quick to allow moral filth into our lives. And regarding these topics, we're gonna look a little more closely next week. But it all is not because that sin is too great in our lives, but because God is too little, because we haven't taken advantage of the solution of its, as it says, the word of God planted in you. And so that's the answer, God's word, the Bible. Um, now, before we too quickly write off, like, okay, of course, that's what the preacher's gonna say. The Bible is the answer, okay? We hear that every week. Um, James takes a sharp turn on us to catch where we might think we know what that means. Like, okay, yeah, 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 I gotta go read my Bible more with these words. Looking again at what God's word says, what it means for God's word to be the solution. Again, verse 22 um, quoting a little bit of Michael Jackson and a little bit of James. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Because, verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says it says, it's like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and then after looking at himself, goes away and completely forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually doing it, they will be blessed for what they do. So essentially what James is revealing in us is that even if, right here in this room, week after week after week, we're uh, looking into the reflection of God's word, or maybe in your small group, or a Wednesday night class, or your own personal uh, Bible study, uh, or reading, or whatever you're doing, that if you're constantly being informed, if you will, of God's word, but your life is not, verse 25, doing what it says, well then you are, verse 22, only deceiving yourself. Any um, American Idol audition watchers that's going on right now? Anyone? One? You lie? You all don't watch the auditions? Well, let me tell you what it's all about. I don't watch the whole show, I get bored with it, but I love the auditions because I have a sick sense of humor and love how the mirror of national television receive, or just reflects how badly these people have been deceiving themselves. Year after year after year. And so here's the question for us. When we look into our own lives, as we regularly hear the word of God and not do what it says, you're deceiving yourself. You mistakenly think, I'm good to go because I'm sitting in this room week after week. And so here's the question that James asks of us in this passage that the, the mirror illustration uh, begs of us to answer. Has your education in God's word exceeded your obedience of God's word?
has your education in God's word exceeded and surpassed obedience of, which is the point, God's word. I came across a couple of stories this past week. Uh, One, uh, regarding a missionary in a a certain country in the world where um, they have to smuggle Bibles in because uh, unlike where we live, Christianity is, is not welcome there. And so the way they do it is they have to hide the Bibles uh, into parts of cars that are being uh, imported into the country. And from there, my understanding is their method of distribution is to take the Bibles and then cut the pages into small paper squares that on one side, uh, on each side, has four verses, so eight verses total. And then they... um, they get these small squares out into the uh, underground church, the communities where uh, the, the, the church is present, and they slip these small squares into the shoes of children uh, for their family to have uh, for a week. And then at the end of a week, as the children are out playing, the families take these small little squares, four verses on one side, four verses on the other, and they slip it into another shoe so that, another, so that the word of God can be um, shared and moved on for another week in that community. Uh, Pastor Wayne and Leslie, many of you know that in the 80s, um, before taking on um, church ministry, they traveled as missionaries with a band uh, in the uh, former USSR, where they were able to give a complete Russian New Testament to uh, the lead pastor of an underground church, who up until that point for 11 years had been preaching out of an English translation of two pages torn out of the book of John. And we compare those stories to a research study that came out of of Lifeway recently. It says that the average American who says that they read their Bible at least once per month has on average in their home 3.6 Bibles. And now, not to mention the, the endless access we have digitally. You see, for us, The problem is not access to God's word. The problem is not access to God's word. Our problem is application of God's word to which we so richly already have access to. I've heard it said this way, that biblical information, excessive biblical information without application only leads to spiritual stagnation. I think the reason for this, uh, for us in our context, is we, we get this how God's word works out of order sometimes in our life. And that we mistakenly uh, believe that once we've received God's word that's planted in you, verse 21, this, once we receive this information, that we're expecting this information uh, to transform us. And once it's transformed me, well then, then I'll apply it. If I feel transformed, then I can go and apply it. Now, while the information of God's word, we would widely agree in this room, is much more than mere information, that it is, in fact, God's holy word that does actually change our hearts from the inside out, that information must first be applied that we might then receive the transformation that the application of that information promises. Does that make sense? 
I'm not sure it does. Um, but we get the equation out of order that we think it's information, then I'm gonna be transformed, I'll go apply it, but instead, we are told, as we're gonna see here again, that it's the information that through the work of our heart we must then go apply that information. And once we've applied it, then we experience the transformation that God has promised us in that information that we've applied. I don't think that's any better. Okay, so um, let me paint it this way, the way looking one more time at this mirror illustration that James has for us. Uh, how many of you, for example, uh, looked at a mirror at some point before you came to church today? Okay, good. Those of you who didn't, we can tell. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I'm going to take a scenic route here, but I, hopefully it's worth the journey. Um, in, in, in my relationship with my wife, when my wife was pregnant uh, with our children, um, one of the things she did to uh, support her expanding nature was to... When she went to bed, I'm so glad she's not here right now, is she would add extra pillows to her sleeping experience, you know, like one behind the back, one to hold up uh, her belly. And um, in light of that, uh, another thing that uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I learned at the Saturday night service that nobody knows what it is, so I'll just share it. But there is a word, uh, cuvad, which is this French word that speaks to the experience where uh, the expectant father takes on some of the attributes of the expectant mother, things like nesting and uh, cravings. Um, and so for me, I was, my wife craved, get this, buffalo wings. Am I not a blessed man? <laughs> and so food cravings. And one of the cravings that I also picked up on was this uh, thing with the pillows. And that I then also started thinking, yeah, I need a, a pillow for my back. And, and so, um, unfortunately, though, after having children, it was a craving that did not um, disappear. And so, if you ever are in a situation where you have to share a hotel room with me, like two queen beds, and uh, just heads up, uh, I'm going to use all three pillows on my bed, I'm going to steal two of yours and leave you with one. <laughs> because I need five pillows. Let me display this for you. Um, <laughs> so with age, I am having to start to have these back problems. Dr. Bill, you've taken care of me though on that. Uh, and so I shove this pillow like on my lower back. And then also I have uh, a knee pillow, which I think helps with the whole back thing. And then on uh, parallel sides running from the headboard, I have these two uh, king size pillows that serve as these like pillars for uh, my, my precious uh, work of pillow. My favorite pillow in the world is this pillow that's under my head that's, it's half memory foam and half like pillow stuffing and it just rests between those two king size pillows in this glorious little nest <laughs> for my cranium. <laughs> and so the result of this sleeping experience is that I wake up every morning with this glorious like Wolverine thing going on with my hair where all my hair has slid forward as a result of the nest. Now, I could have just said I woke up with bedhead. But what would be the fun in that? And so I get up and I look at the man in the mirror and I look at him and say, man, you got to change your ways. Now, rhetorical question. 
Does merely looking at my Wolverine hair in the mirror do anything to transform my experience? No. Rhetorical question, that's why you're not answering, I know. Because I have to apply what I learned that's been revealed to me in the truth of the mirror. I have to uh, apply some water and I have to apply some product, some hair gel, and apply my fingers and, and get this to some place looking reasonably presentable for you here today. The mirror does not transform me, but the application of what I learned from the truth of the mirror has the power then to transform me. And so for you, maybe you're here 52 sermons a year, 3.6 Bibles sitting on your shelf. And maybe they don't just sit there. You mean, you know, four Bible reading plans, three equip classes, two grow together small group studies, and a woman's Beth Moore study in a pear tree. <laughs> Does not, in and of itself, change you. It does not, in and of itself, change you, but it does have the power to change you when you apply it. When you obey it, says James, the little brother of Jesus Christ. Because then the result is transformation. That if our problem is our battle against the way we should live our life, against temptation and sin, the solution fully understood is God's word when it is fully obeyed, and the result then is a transformation both in your life and for your eternity. As James says in verse 21, the power to save you, and verse 25, the power to bless you, to bless your life. And so for us this morning, in both the hearing and the doing of God's word, uh, here in a moment, the worship team's gonna come back out and lead us, uh, but we're gonna do what it says, that we're gonna experience and tap into the power of God's word to both save us and to bless the living of our lives. And so here, again, the word of the Lord. We looked at this last week, James 5, 13 through 14. It says, if any one of you is sick, or if any one of you is in trouble, let them pray. Let them pray with the elders and the leaders of the church. And so the elders and the leaders of the church are gonna be up here uh, ready to pray with you. And we will, we will pray and stay as long as you're willing to pray and stay. You may have to go to another room. If it goes to another service, that's okay. Pastor Wayne, unless we're here until uh, well after 1.30 after the, 10, after the yeah, 10.50 service. With your response, with uh, the truth that God wants to enter into our lives when we enter into him with prayer. God's word in James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, well, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given So maybe there's an area in your life that you keep bucking up against that you, you're, you, need, you need greater wisdom. You need God's wisdom. Maybe it's a, um, an issue in a relationship, uh, maybe a job challenge uh, or some other issue. Seek the wisdom of God and he will give to you generously. God's word in James 5.16 
says this when it comes specifically to our battle against temptation and sin and the stuff that gets into our lives in that area. It says, therefore, confess. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so the good news is, is that we are already made righteous in Jesus Christ and God's word said there's a power, there's a healing opportunity when you get that out, when you confess that yes to God but also through uh, a trusted leader in life of the church. And so if you need to confess or, or get some help with something you're facing in your life, don't walk out of this room again bearing that in your life. Get the help, get the healing, the next steps that you need today. And then lastly, most importantly, uh, that the truth of God's word uh, is to save you, James 1.21, is that, and this is good for all of us, that when it talk, with all this talk about obedience, God's word promises us that it's not obedience that saves you, that the sin that's in your life can only be removed by the forgiveness that comes, not through what you could do, but as Morgan reminded us in communion, what has already been done for you through the cross of Jesus Christ. That life as a Christian, life as a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, it's not a life of working for the love of God, but it's the opportunity to work from the love of God. Because who our God is, he's a loving father who wants to give us first fruits of that word planted in us. He wants to give us his best for you in your life, James 1.25, that his way is the best way that will bless you. He has your best in mind when he leads you in your life. And so maybe for you, maybe you grew up in church and you got away from it and for one reason or another, you're back and that's great. Uh, or maybe, maybe just the church thing has never been a part of your story, but here you find yourself uh, maybe for a number of weeks. And again, let me encourage you, that is good, that is great. But just looking at the mirror in a pew each week doesn't fix the bedhead. It, it, doesn't, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't apply what you've been learning. And so one last verse, as God's word informs us, Romans 10, 9, that if you declare with your mouth, if you do this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so, again, there will be ministry leaders here who would be honored uh, to talk with you about that decision that you could proclaim, that you could do uh, this as the word of God informs us and experience a transformation that he has for your life and for your eternity. And so have that conversation today. Uh, and again, if there's any other need in the other areas of sickness or wisdom, um, we would pray with you uh, on those things as well. I'd be glad to do that. So with that, I invite you to stand with me. And uh, as we prepare our hearts to both sing and pray. Oh, you don't have to get it. It's okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your word. And at the same time, forgive us for recognizing or not recognizing how spoiled we are um, by the access that we have to your word. And so we are thankful this day for the gift uh, of your word that informs us, uh, but not by the power of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. May we now go and do that. May we go and obey it. May we apply it that we might experience a transformation that you promise in your word. And so wherever we're at in this um, 
Would you help to move uh, people's feet to have that conversation, to have that prayer um, this morning as we sing, giving you all the glory in the midst of it. We ask in Jesus' name.